So along those same lines, along those same lines, my wife and I were talking about how different um, it was between the raising of our first and our third, right? Um, we were in Chicago when we had our first new parents, and we were, um, how shall I put it, we were baby Nazis. Um, it's kind of a Seinfeldian reference anyway. Baby Nazis, we were afraid of doing something wrong. We wanted to make sure he got everything perfect. The books were read. We had a rigid schedule for our firstborn. Um, he, we knew when to put him down, and he went down at the same time, we, every time, and we knew when to bring him up, when, when to let him cry, when not to let him cry, all that kind of stuff. Um, we actually kept a schedule, and this is not an exaggeration. Deanna will tell you it's the truth. We kept a schedule of how many times and when he went to the bathroom. True. And then he had this particular issue where his, you know, umbilical cord or what was left of it, it just wasn't coming off. It was just, just out there. And so we were so concerned, we ended up taking him to the doctor three times because of this umbilical cord. That's like, that, that's how hyperactive we were about, about our firstborn. And um, I'm sure the doctor just rolled his eyes to go on to new parents, whatever, you know, uh, or when the pacifier would fall on the ground, <laughs> boil water, Put the pacifier in there, put the bottle tops in there, make sure everything is completely sanitary before you give it to the, you know, your firstborn. And uh, thirdborn, <laughs> didn't do any of that stuff, right? You know, pacifier falls on the ground, you pick it up, you look around, wipe it off, stick it back in. <laughs> or Deanna used to just stick it in her mouth and then stick it in the baby's mouth, right? That's what we did, you know? Hyper with number one really mellow with number three, and I, I'm guessing most of you have more than one child. That's probably it. And if you happen to be one of those new mothers that's going, oh, that's exactly what I do. I do all that stuff in the schedule. It's okay. <laughs> You'll mellow out. It just, just, just takes time. But, you know, uh, with all of the, the burdens of child raising, and, and, and I know, you know, having kids on the older side now, you know, we kind of look back and think, man, I'm so glad I don't have to do the diaper thing anymore or rent the U-Haul truck to carry around everything, you know, all the diapers and the bags and the, the pack and play and the high chair and all that stuff. It's just amazing how much stuff you've got to drag all around with you, right? We look back and it's like, man, I'm glad I'm not, not in that stage anymore. But as I've, this is an observation, this is a little more, little more serious, uh, the more I've observed aging families and the aging of my family, the more I realize that in many respects, the burden of parenting intensifies, right? Even adult children, because it changes. There are people here, and some of you know our story, and so we connect with this, um, whose, whose hearts are deeply grieved and burdened for uh, your adult son or adult daughter. Maybe they disbelieve, maybe they're making wrong choices, maybe they made a choice to get a divorce, and you're seeing the impact on their lives, and it just hurts. And that's, that's, that's I think, even more so maybe as a mother than a father. And I know when, when I feel that way um, with my kids, and I've seen people in their 80s grieve their 50-year-old adult son or daughter, I feel a sense, and it's just being really honest here, I feel a sense of insecurity. And as I, um, it, it's like my world is, uh, is on waves, and that, that, that's, that, that's the sense that I get. And, I, and I, I'm guessing that most of you probably would say, if you were honest, that, it, that you uh, would feel that way too. 
Um, and if you don't have sons or daughters, then, then you can branch out to other relationships. Because in one sense, I, 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 as I reflect on the scripture and on, 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 on our experience, I realize in some ways that sense of insecurity is, to be under, uh, is understandable and, and, and also healthy. In the sense that God has made us to be communal creatures, Right? Um, He has made us to draw strength from each other, from our children, from our marriages, from our friends, from our church community. We're supposed to draw strength and a sense of of security from those things. And that's that's how we were made, right? Um, Even King Solomon said, let three cords are not quickly broken, right? He was referring to, you can bring one man down, but you put three men together or three people together, they're hard to break. That is, they're stronger together, they're more secure together. So in one sense, it's like, yes, there's, God has given us these relationships and family and marriage to, to g- give us a sense of strength and to give us a sense of security. That's, that's, that's how we were made. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, if my parents called me today after 57 years of marriage and said, Dan, we're calling it quits, my world would come apart. I would be rocked. And, and I should be because... We're woven into this tapestry of community where God has made us to support and um, strengthen and find a sense of security together. The problem, of course, is, and we know this, is that all of that is, 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 is still broken. Which means that ultimately those relationships, marriage, family, um, children, church community, um, are not ultimately, they cannot ultimately be a reliable source of security and strength. Now, I'm making a subtle, maybe it's not, I need to make it not so subtle. When I think of it, I think of it like this, and I'm trying to put things in perspective. Um, The difference between sand and concrete I know I just came from a place that has sand. You can run on the sand, walk on the sand, sit on the sand. Um, it's, it's, for the most part, it's, it's stable, right? For the most part, sand is stable. But we also know that a good wave or a bunch of, of wind comes up, that, that sand can shift. And that's, that's like our human relationships and the things that, by design, we were we were meant to draw strength and security from. It's, it's, it's like, like sand. It's in one sense it's stable, but it's shiftable. Concrete, however, you know, doesn't make a difference how many waves or, I mean, work with me here, absolutize this metaphor, but um, concrete is stable. It's strong. The wind's not going to blow away. It's, it's going to hang in there. And, and through the years, through your life, there's going to be times in which those things that you find yourself standing on, relationships, they're going to shift. And you're going to feel that sense of insecurity. You're going to feel a sense where your, your strength is somehow depleted or diminished as a result. Because in one sense, I want to say that's how God made us. But at that time, what is it, what's the core of, of where we find our ultimate sense of security and satisfaction? Our ultimate sense of strength. And that's really what I want to draw your attention to um, this morning. It's just, yes, we celebrate family, we celebrate mothers, and we celebrate relationships. But at the end of the day, there has to be something, and this is what church is about, just coming back to the center. What is it that, 
when things shift, and they do shift and change, what is it that keeps us from blowing away? What is that thing? And this happens to be one of those psalms that for me is like a go-to psalm. Because it reminds me, one, of change, but on the other hand, it reminds me of what's core. Um, of what's at the center. It's the go-to place to, to be reminded, this is my anchor point. This is my solid ground. This will never change. It will never fall apart. The psalm starts like this. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. That's significant because it alerts us to the history or the context in which King David is writing. You can read about this history in 2 Samuel chapter 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. And in those chapters, and what's alluded to here in verse 0, which is this the title, um, is a time in which all those normal things that give us a sense of security and strength have fallen apart. His life, David's life, is, is being dismantled, right? Uh, he's not in his palace. He's on the run, so he's been, been left homeless. Uh, home is another place where we find a sense of security, refuge, and, 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 and strength. He has no home. His family's divided. His son wants to kill him. His, his, his country is in civil war. And then, last but not least, he is acutely aware of his own moral failure that caused it all. So, all of those things are just are, are being dismantled around him. Now, when, when people experience that, especially to, the, to that extent, hopefully it doesn't happen all at once like it did for David, of all of this loss, oftentimes their life implodes. A person's life will implode because they've been building their life on sand. There's no core. There's no center. It implodes, and either you commit suicide or you kind of sink down into a, a sinkhole of, of, of self-anger or bitter cynicism about life. There's no core. So here you have in the middle of all this dismantling and this division and those things that normally give us a sense of security and strength, here you have David doing something very, very um, important for us to grasp. He comes back to his core. And I am, um, I am imploring you to analyze whether or not this is your core, and if not, it should be, and something you have to come back to over and over and over and over again because life is filled with the sand, capable of shifting and changing, leaving us with that sense of insecurity. The core, verse 3, it's one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. But you, O Lord, or Yahweh, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Three things. Three aspects of who God is for us. You, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. The first one is Yahweh is my shield. Um, we've all seen enough movies to know what a shield is. It's either made of wood, leather, over wood, iron, maybe bronze. Defensive, uh, not a weapon, but a defensive armament. You know, but it's only as good as, as the, the shield is strong, and it's only as good as the person who wields it. Spear can get around it. Spear can get through it. And, and here at this point where everything is being dismantled, David is able to say, listen, at the end of the day, my true shield, my defense, um, 
the wall around me, the refuge, is, is Yahweh himself. Um, and, and that, of course, is, is stronger than anything um, in or outside the universe. And he is, he's, he's coming back to this as a center. I mean, having a husband is a source, a source of security. Having, you know, bail armor, ADT, is a source of security. Having a great police department with a great police chief is a source of security. But at the end of the day, those things are still sand and capable of being washed away. And coming back to the center, David is telling us, listen, at the, for God's people, your strongest security, your strongest shield, your strongest defense is Yahweh himself. Like he, he binds himself to his people so that he is before you and after you, to the left of you, to the right of you, over you, under you, and in you. Until the day that he takes you, takes you home, nothing will penetrate the barrier of Yahweh's shield around you. That should, that's coming back to the center. We tend to stand on the sand and want to find our shield in other things. Coming back to the center and recognizing the Lord, Yahweh himself, he, he's your shield. He's your protection. He is for, for you widows out there, he is the one who watches over you day and night like a shepherd over his sheep. And you have to know that when you find yourself afraid. You have to know that he's the one who protects you when health is not good. He's the one who will protect you when you find yourself uh, amidst the sinking sand around you. He will be your shield. And that's where he goes, be my shield. But he goes on to say, um, and by glory, or in Hebrew it's kavod. Um, the Lord is also my glory. And that, too, is, is highly significant. That word is used in Exodus chapter 34 as a summary word. Like it, it sums up um, what is most beautiful and what is most worthy about God. It's, it's, it's um, when the Lord's glory, his kavod, passes before Moses, and then he proclaims his character and says, The Lord, the Lord, I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is his kavod. That is his glory. It is, it is what makes him trustable. It's what makes him desirable and attractive. It's a summary word. And, and, and David is teaching us here, listen, at the end of the day, everything else is sand, but there is one thing that remains that is supremely desirable, that is supremely attractive, that is supremely worthy, and it's, it's, it's Yahweh himself. Now, that's, that might not strike us as uh, significant uh, because of the cultural difference. But for David, King David to say this is significant and striking given his historical context. Um, kings in ancient times would talk about their glory, and their glory would consist of their wealth or their military power or might or the scope of their reign. Nebuchadnezzar, for example, in Daniel chapter 4, says, Is this not, not, is this not Babylon the great that I have made for the glory of my name? This is my glory. All of the stuff that I have achieved. And David here is saying, listen, my glory, it's, it's not about um, the nations I've conquered. It's not about um, how many chariots I have. 
It's not about my own fame, which at this point he doesn't have any. His reputation is in the toilet. Um, it comes down to simply this. And this, this is it. You. Like, you're my glory. It's, it's significant. It's not, it's not the land. It's not the palaces. It's not, it's not the walls. It's not the, the towers. It's, it's you. It's, you are, are my glory. Like, in other words, you're, you're the treasure. You're the only thing really at the end of the day that really matters to me is you. It's like, why is one day in your course better than thousands elsewhere? Because it's him. That's why. Supremely glorious and attractive and beautiful, full of steadfast love and faithfulness towards his people. You are the best thing in life, right? That's, that's coming back to the core. What is most desirable, most worthy in one's life? And is, is as good and as precious as the gifts of marriage and family and friendship and church are. Those things are still sand. They're still capable of shifting. But there's one thing that never changes that is always supremely desirable and worthy, and that is the Lord, right? It's coming back to the center. You're my protector. You're my treasure. And then the last one also is highly significant, coming back to the center the lifter of my head. You know, the lifter of my head. Biblically and experientially, people's heads drop for a couple reasons. One is despair, hopelessness, depression, despondency. Another reason people hang their heads and can't look up is because of shame and guilt. You remember the, the sinner standing next to the Pharisee? He couldn't even bring himself to lift his head because he was in a pile of shame. I'm a sinner. I can't even look up. Given David's context, I think it was probably both. He knew his shame. He knew his failure. And what he says here is, again, significant. But you, Yahweh, you're the one who lifts my head. I'm not relying on a wife to lift my head, I'm a husband to lift my head, my friends to lift my head, a perfect performance to lift my head, self-redemption to lift my head. No, my head is lifted by you. Right? To see that presumes a whole lot of grace, right? You're the one who takes away my shame. And I think in this case, you're the one who took away my shame. Your mercy is endless and your grace is uncontainable. You are the one who took away my shame, absolved me of my sin. You have restored and healed my soul and restored the joy that I prayed for. It's the Lord and the Lord only who can really do that for his people. That is it's so gracious, the picture of the Lord in his mercy, lifting our head and curing us of our shame and atoning for our sin and restoring healing and replacing our despair with joy. That's coming like back to the center. Like this is who Yahweh is, right? Both Old and New Testament proclaim the same thing, right? Well, the New Testament, God comes with skin on, lays himself out on the cross and says, this is how much I love you to take away your shame and to, 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 to cancel your debt and to lift your 
You know how many people, Christians included, still walk around with their head down? Because they're still relying on sand. To somehow lift them out of shame. What other people will think. What other people will say. A certain amount of good works or good presence. And when you get there, you feel a sense of lift. But you know what? You're looking to the wrong thing to lift your head. How many people in here right now, heads are, maybe not physically, but your hearts are down. Because you fail to believe Yahweh in his love and mercy is the one who has done everything necessary. So your head can be lifted. Shame is gone. Sin is gone. Joy is present. That's, that's, that's core, right? These, these things, like, like I said, they're interrelated but different. Like, who's going to protect you ultimately? The only one you really, at the end of the day, need is Yahweh. Um, who is going to be your most treasured possession? If I can use the word possession, your prize, your treasure? It's, it's got to be Yahweh. Who's going to be the one who, who lifts you up when you are down, when you feel hopeless, when you feel ashamed? Yahweh. So that's it's coming back to the center, right? Coming back to the center. As good as the things that God has given to us, and I love my marriage, and I love my children, and I love the people of this church, at the end of the day, I still have to recognize that those things can shift. And what remains? one thing, and that is the Lord, right? And that's the core. And I won't dwell on this or go into it in detail, but he even acknowledges that he finds rest as a result of coming back to the core. Um, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord. Yahweh sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. You see, he's like able to rest, and his fear is diminished because he is focused when the sand is shifting, he is focused on the core. He's focused on the core. The simple challenge this morning to everybody in here really is, is to, to make sure, one, to clarify the core, what it is, to remind you you need to be committed to staying focused on the core, not on shifting sand, but on the core, and to making sure your roots go deep, not into the sand, but the concrete, because at some point, the sand starts to shift. You feel that sense of insecurity, as I said, which is to be expected because we're communal creatures related to both people and the earth. And what, what then? Well, that core needs to be there. And it needs to continue to develop, continue to grow. How? Well, that age-old, time-honored, same way it always has. You know, you meditate on the revelation of God, believing it. You humbly pray and commune with the Lord in your petition and you participate in a community that's laying the same foundation and committed to the same core that is worship. That is that that that's 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 central. So, listen. Being a mom is great, most of the time. I know, not by personal experience, but by watching. Being a dad is great, most of the time. Having a family is great. Most of the time. Being married is great. Most of the time. But at the end of the day, recognize, as good as those gifts are, for which we give thanks, they are still shiftable. The only thing that remains is your relationship with God and knowing his heart.
period. So let, let me ask you to do something. We're going to give a gift to our moms in here. I'd like you to pray this. You don't have to pray the exact words. But I, I want us to take a moment to pray for our mothers that God would be the core. The Lord would be the core of their lives. And I'll try to include everybody in this because not everybody's mother's here and not everybody's a mother. Um, but if, if you're a mom here and your family's around you, I just want to ask, um, maybe if there's a spiritual leader in the family or someone feels comfortable, just, just gather around mom and I want you to pray for mom. If there's two moms in your family, there's a mom and a grandma, then you can pray around both of them, okay? Just pray, God, be the core of my mom's life. Um, may she sink her roots deep into the cement, not into the sand. Uh, if you're, if you're, don't, you're not a mom, you probably have a mom, and if she's still living, you can pray for her in the quietness of your own heart. If she's no longer living and you don't have anybody to pray for, well, think of some of the moms even in this room or moms you know outside this room who are right now experiencing what it's like to have their life shift around like sand and it's hard. And pray for them. Pray that God would be the core of their life. I, I can think of a better gift on Mother's Day um, besides barbecues and all that stuff to give them than just simply to hold them up in prayer. Say, God, be the bedrock, the center, the core, the concrete of mom's life. You take a moment and do that. If any of your little, still kids out there, you can pray for your mom. And, um, and then the worship team is going to lead us in a, in a final couple songs.